everybody, and welcome to the world's favorite youth baseball podcast, Clearing the Bases, with Coach Jimmy Fillinger. I'm David Friedman, and I want to thank you for coming along this journey with us. How are we doing today, Coach? Doing good, Dave. You know, another week goes by, some more travel baseball being played, going at it full force. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm still, for the most part, enjoying my baseball break. I'm starting to get a little itchy. Starting to get a little itchy for it. It's been uh, been a little over a month now. So, uh, yeah, I feel like it's almost time. I actually did reach out to uh, to my head coach to see what he was starting to plan for, if he was starting to plan for the fall yet, um, which, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. Well, like I, you know, like I said to you before, you know, there's always a spot. There's always a spot you can, you start to get a little itchy. Um, I can always use a good assistant coach. My son is uh, doing his own thing this summer, so I'm pretty much flying solo. Okay, all right. Well, I may take you up on that one. I, I just may come out and do a little, uh, do a little guest, do a little guest appearance. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> So uh, speaking of guest appearances, we're uh, pretty excited to have our um, our first guest. Uh, we decided to mix things up. We've been going for a few episodes here, and uh, the response has been great. We really appreciate everybody sticking with us, and the comments and feedback that we're getting has all been overwhelmingly positive, so we definitely appreciate that. Uh, we wanted to mix some things up this week, and we do have a gentleman whose name has been mentioned multiple times on our podcast. And that is the head of the Cadets Development Academy, Angel Lugo. We have him on as our first special guest this week. Yeah, it would really be good for our, our listeners to hear what Angel has to say. We talk about development many, many times, but I think that he's going to give a broader view of what development actually means. Yeah, he gets into uh, a lot of good details on what his facility has to offer, and it's something that anybody who is uh, coaching youth baseball or uh, playing or playing youth baseball or their kids, if you're serious about trying to get your kids to the next level, we talk a lot about what that really takes. It's not it's not just putting in some time; it's time and it's effort, and it's the right type of effort. Exactly, and it's also. What you and I talk about a lot of times, it's the right mindset. It's creating that right mindset so you're ready to tackle the development part of the game. Yeah, that's great. So uh, we think it was a great conversation. And without further ado, let's hit it. So we're very happy to have as our guest this week, Angel Lugo. He is the owner and director of the Cadets Player Development Academy in Fishkill, New York. Welcome to our show, Angel. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. So, Angel, you've got the premier uh, development academy in the Hudson Valley. Very, very proud to say at one point, both of my boys had played there. Jimmy has been one of your main coaches for a number of years. So really want to welcome to the welcome you to the show. We want to get a lot of good information out of you today. I look forward to answering your questions today. All right, great. So let's uh, let's start talking about a little bit of your background as far as baseball goes. Um, when did you start playing ball? So I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I started playing ball at the age of eight uh, after begging my mom and dad to get me into the local PAL league, and from there just kind of continue to play PAL, which you know re- is really why one of the reasons I work so hard at trying to get players to understand that having fun. Is, part, is a big part of this game because, you know, being in the PAL League, it was a lot of fun, a lot of time spent with friends uh, from the age of eight till 
right around 13. And right around that age is when I found the travel world back in those days, which wasn't a big thing uh, as it is today. But I started then uh, at the age of 13 with uh, Bergen Beach, uh, which was a travel organization that played in, you know, all different type of regional events uh, and kind of grew up from there playing travel ball with them through my high school days. I went to Grady High School, played there, starting as a freshman, fortunate enough to, to be good enough to take over a senior spot. Back in those days, they didn't really care if you were a senior. They just wanted good players on the field. And that obviously kicked off my my high school career. And I was fortunate enough, again, to have a catcher, Linton Dyer, who was being looked at by many teams. Um, so it gives you that great story of they were there to watch somebody else. And I was fortunate you. enough to... To after my senior year, get drafted by the Minnesota Twins. Uh, went on to play four years in the minors. Obviously, we learned a lot, was around a lot of great ball players, and, and had a great experience. Uh, till this day, I wish I was still on the baseball field doing it. But uh, reality <laughs> settles in really quick when, when I say you're around those one percenters or those kids that really have some some exceptional talent. And you know, once I was done with that, went out to the real world and started working. And then led me to being back into my passion of baseball and development. So that's where we are today is in the world of development. Okay, great. And so, as we said earlier, you're the owner of the Cadets Player Development. And you're also the uh, regional scouting director of USA Baseball. Uh, so that's obviously a great uh, honor for you to have. And uh, you want to talk a little bit about what that entails? Sure. Uh, I'll start with the facility because I think that's really where the passion started was, you know, I've always wanted to have a facility. And when I moved up into this market back in 98, I started putting a plan together. And uh, 2007, we opened up with a franchise called Extra Innings. I was with part of the franchise for a good, uh, I guess it would say 13 years now, 14 years. And then uh, decided that it was time to kind of really just follow what I believe a facility should have. And it's really focused on development over the last four years, I've, I've put together a facility that has all uh, the top, I would say, training items that you can think of. Training aids. Have, training aids, yeah. Training you know, aids, yep. We have, uh, we've really stepped up our game and, and really, I've been, I've been fortunate enough to be around a lot of good people and, and learn a lot of what the players need today and what they're doing in the big leagues and how they're developing there at that level. So we, we really went out and spent some time finding the right things. We have uh, a sensory system by SnapTech that kind of covers you uh, to, to a point where most people don't even know uh, you should be training. So that's a visual training aid and sensory training aid. You know, we have the virtual reality hitting. We have simulators. We have hit tracks, which kind of shows you where the ball goes. Um, so we've brought together a lot of these things because the players today are very visual but more importantly, there's a lot of things that they're not doing on their own that will help them get better. So with that being said, like that's really been our focus is to go out and find the best development, I would say, items yes. out there that will help develop players to a level that, you know, is not just for your basic player, but all the way through that high level player. And that's been my passion from day one. The reason I got into the facility business, because I love helping a player develop and understand what it's going to take because development is one thing. And then the mentoring and, and helping a player understand the highest level is a totally different, you know, animal. So, um, so we went ahead and, 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 you know, went that route in 2012. I went and got certified by top velocity, which is one of the best, I would say the best pitching program in, in the States. And so I, I went and I learned a little bit more about that. So that, that also led us to a lot of the technology we use today. 
and I think right now as a training facility, we we can service a, a, a MLB player to to the five year old that's getting started, and then really help them understand what we need to do to help you get achieve your goals, basically. And we'll go over those things as we go. But then uh, back in 2016, I was fortunate enough to 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 join the NTIS uh, USA Baseball's NTIS division. Started uh, as a scout, just kind of getting things going. And within that year, uh, Jeff Schaefer, who's my boss, uh, gave me both states to run because we were, again, doing a lot of great things with camps and, and working on development and going out there and finding some top-level players to get down to Cary, North Carolina. So the uh, USA Baseball part then became a big part of what we do here uh, in the Hudson Valley is trying to get players not only from our area, but, you know, from both states down to to USA Baseball to make national teams. Excellent. Excellent. You know, a lot of what you talk about there in terms of the development of the players is so important and giving them the tools because so many times what we've seen through the years is a lot of people, whether it be parents, the coaches, the kids themselves, whatever, they're investing the time but they don't have the school, the the, um, the skills and the tools to really get to that next level. And if you're doing something wrong repeatedly, obviously, then it becomes so much harder to untrain uh, bad habits than to to start fresh. So getting uh, getting jumped jump in and and getting involved early is going to be key, I'm sure, for a lot of that. I talk about development all the time on the previous shows. It's all I talk about is development. But Angel, I think that uh, you're in a better position to give a better understanding of you know what does development actually mean so you know i think jimmy is a great you know topic because a lot of a lot of families right now don't recognize what development is they think by just going out to play games and be all over the country and and, and do all these big tournaments that that's development that that's definitely not it's a piece of development but it's not what development is and i think that we have to start trying to guide some families with better education on what does that look like? You know, we're going through a stage right now or an era where a lot of dads did not play baseball. They were lacrosse players. They were soccer players. Um, I hear it all the time from dads. I say, you know, they, they feel comfortable maybe having to catch with the kid at eight, but by the time they hit 12, they're like, I don't know what to, what to do now. So we're really, you know, trying to get everyone to understand that the development of a of an athlete first. And I think that's the piece some are missing is they think they got to go right to baseball. You got to develop the athlete first. And that's the first stage. Stage one for me. And when, when you look at USA Baseball, they've done a great job with the development plans. And when you look at it, the first stage is that five to six, five to seven activation stage, they call it. It's just getting a player to understand that first, you just got to have movements. Right. We're in an era of kids being indoors playing video games. So they have great thumbs, but they're not outside getting coordinated and running around. And, you know, those are the things we did as kids when, you know, we were in the streets of Brooklyn. You're running between cars when you're playing football, you're trying to dodge a car. Like, you know, it was just athleticism that was happening because you were just in the streets doing it where the kids today are different. They're indoors a lot more. You got to drag them outside. Um, So stage one to me in development is just starting to create the athlete. And when you look at what USA Baseball puts out, that's pretty much what we're saying is get them to get out there, make some movements, play different sports. Don't get tied into just one sport. And most important in that stage of development is make sure it's fun. Right. Trying to make sure they're enjoying what they're doing. You know, I call the stage of like five to 12. We're trying to make them fall in love with the sport they pick, whether it's football, 
baseball, basketball, they have to fall in love young to want to put in the work later. So in that first stage, we have to make sure they fall in love. So the two sides that I look at is the training and development, which is, you know, going to a facility like mine or someone in your local area where they are now working on those type of, you know, training skills. And then there's the development of on field, right? That's a two different things. You know, you have coaches that are great baseball coaches on field and guys that are great in a, in a, you know, closed facility doing the training. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're always good at both, by the way. So I really try to push that, you know, there is two different stages of development within those first few years. So the guys that are the coaches on field are the ones going to focus on that communication on field. They're going to talk about being a team and how to be an individual within that team. They're going to lay some foundations of discipline and those other things that come with the game. So, you know, I always look at development in those stages. Like my job when I first started was really focusing on the training and development side, just getting the players to understand movements and become athletes in my facility, you know, and then when I got involved with the field aspect, it did change. And I started looking at things a little different because it is different on field. Um, You and I have, have talked about it times before. I'm a field coach. I am not a trainer developer like you are. I'm more like a, um, like a utility guy. All right. I know a little bit about this, a little bit about that, but then when it gets above my pay grade, I got to send the players to somebody like you that could take it further. With that being said too, parents have to understand that coaching a baseball game is not developing a player. It's two different things. Like developing on field is communication, teamwork, hit and run situations. All those other things that are in the game are different than taking someone to say, hey, mechanically, this is what's wrong. Here's the movement pattern that's wrong, the sequence that's wrong. I don't expect, and again, obviously, because I'm a baseball guy, when I my, co- my son played high school ball, I didn't expect his coach to be able to fix his pitching mechanics right. because right. I understood that it's two different things. And parents have to understand that when they play travel ball or little league ball, like the coach is different. He's the guy strategizing a game, maybe. He's not the guy that's going to see a kid dropping his hands or anything like that. Yeah, he might notice some little things, but he might not be able to be the one that fixes it. So in that age before 12, I think a lot of parents have this perception that the coach should be able to fix all this and I don't have to do anything else. Well, those are typically the kids that end up not getting moved, you know, moving ahead in the game because they're not learning and changing anything. They're kind of just seeing it in game. And it's a, it's two different things. And I think when we talk development, there's so much we can cover, but I think if we stick to the basics with 412, that we start getting an understanding that there's a part of this that's a training and development side that is done off the field in a sense. And then there's the training and development on field. Right. Um, and I think once you can separate the two and understand, like it's even now when I'm coaching my team on field, it's I'm not mechanical with them on field. I'm never telling a pitcher, Hey, you're blowing open. You're doing this. I'm trying to just coach them as a coach on field and making my notes. So when we're inside practicing that I can then work with them separately, but it's hard for everyone to have that ability to do both, but understanding that parents have to understand it's two different things. Absolutely. And I, I think one of the important things is also just, it, it just, a lot of it just comes down to time as well. Um, whether it be like from whether it be coaching town ball or coaching travel, or this year uh, I was able to jump in and coach uh, JB baseball uh, locally you know, I mean, this year was a little different, certainly because of COVID and how uh, compressed our season was. But when you're playing 
three, four games a week and you want to practice the other two days, but everybody either just pitched or is going to pitch tomorrow. So you can't really do a lot of work on pitching mechanics at that point. You know, it was, it was really, really difficult. Like you said, to try to make changes almost midstream. As a high school coach, it's, it's impossible with my high school team. I would never think to start trying to change a pitcher's mechanics because I don't have the time to do it. I may say, listen, in the off season, go see coach Lugo. He's going to be able to help you so that you come back next year. You know, going back to Angel's point about a field coach, so to speak, is different than a trainer. But one of the things that I wanted to go through is Angel was just talking about, you know, the younger players. So, Dave, you and I have talked about five-year-old baseball, six-year-old travel teams at those those levels. Okay, my feeling is that with a five, six, seven-year-old player, I mean, yes, you want to teach them how to play baseball. You want to teach them how to field. You want to teach them how to catch the ball, throw the ball, the simple, basic stuff of baseball. But to your point, Angel, you also want to teach them movement patterns, Mm -hmm. like skipping and jumping and running and the simple movement patterns that, like you said, parents don't understand. They want to jump right in five, six years old, and they're looking to play games with these kids. And I don't believe that that's how you develop players. No, again, I think that, that's where we have to learn to separate even as young as five and six, like when you're running down to a T-ball little league game, like, again, you're not going to have time to work on a kid's arm path. Like it's not going to happen. Right. So there is that piece of it, like, Hey, get them into programs outside of that, that can help them do that. In the meantime, there is things that coaches can do during those things. And whether they're teaming up with, with facilities like mine and, and getting guys down on the field that can help them work on some of those patterns, um, but like I said earlier, think about most little leagues right now, the dads, they're great dudes. They want to volunteer, but a lot of them right now, I'd say 90, I'm not, I don't think I'm exaggerating. When I say 90% of them probably didn't play baseball. They were lacrosse guys. They were softball guys. I mean, excuse me, soccer guys, because we went through an era where, and we all know the numbers dropped in baseball when lacrosse came and soccer came. So, you know, there, there's a lot of those fundamentals that are missed because they, you don't have coaches that know them. But more important to your question, Jim, is parents have to understand like five, six, it's about maybe getting them some uh, some lessons at times or, or get them into a program in a facility to work on mechanics, but then get them on the field just to have fun and learn as they go. They will correct on path patterns as time goes. All right. Take a kid and have them throw a football at a baseball practice. Do something like that. It changes it's it up fun. a little, but it's fun. It's different. But that yet they're working on arm path like. So there's things like that that can be done. I think there is development on field, you know, that can be done for that five, six-year-old group um, where we focus on movement, strong practice, and not just the basic, you know, throw baseball the first and things like that. But I think that we have to distinguish the two differences with families and, and coaches and, and have them understand, like, your job at five or six is make sure you start getting the kid to fall in love. Have fun, teach them the basics, get them going. And then, you know, when you look at that bucket of five to 12, really, like as a kid gets to 10, 11, 12, they start really loving the game or liking it. You know, then you're going to want to get them into some, you know, travel ball and stuff. That's when you start looking at the different kids and say, hey, this kid needs to focus more on just practices, playing rec ball, you know. And, and the, you know, the numbers tell you with USA that a kid at that age, 60% of it should be typically, you know, practice time, 65%, I think they use as a number. Um, and then that changes as they get older. Um, you know, practice time becomes so important. And I think a lot of, you know, 
unfortunate because of time, like uh, Dave just said, like a volunteer coach is not going to have three days a week to practice and play one game. Like it's not going to happen. Right. So families have to understand that little league directors have to understand it and they have to come up with some creative solutions to help players continue to get better and not worry about playing five games in a week, you know, or three games in a week. It's a flat out tells you in the development plan by USA that, it should really be like three days of practice, one game, uh, two days of practice, one day of a game. And that's kind of a guideline, you know, just to keep the kids engaged. Uh, think about it, a five-year-old is going to practice three or four days a week and then playing. He's going to be, he's going to be burnt out. Like that's too much baseball for yeah. a five-year-old. It's different playing in your backyard with your wiffle ball bat. You can go do that the extra day. You know what I mean? Like, and that's yeah. how we did it when we were younger. I mean, we spent our days on the wiffle ball, you know, playing wiffle ball, playing stick ball. Like it was all, baseball related in a sense but it was not being in a game you know um so i I totally agree with you jimmy you know these these t-ball national tournaments that you hear (laughs) 6u national like to me that that just uh, i don't understand why that's happening uh in the game and why we're allowing it um so definitely i I think like you're saying for the younger kids you know there's definitely those stages that we got to work through um you know and i look at a lot of that like five six is a group and then once you get to that seven to 12 bucket, you got like seven to 10 year olds as a group of a stage of where that you should be focusing on discovery, uh, organized play, fundamentals, motivation. Like that's where you start building that, that motivation for players. And that's where the coaches come in on field is how do you take a kid that's failing and turn that into spinning it the way he needs to so he can be confident. Um, if we don't build confidence in, in a baseball player before the age of 12, when they get to 13 and it starts to get harder, it's really hard to overcome that. So to me, that that bucket, you know, from 12U to 7, um, it really starts to focus on build fundamentals, build confidence, start being the motivator. Um, and, and that's where the love starts to happen. Once they start feeling confident, boy, you know, now I'm in love with the game because I, I feel good. If I don't make a mistake, I can shake it off and move on. Um, so I'm really big at that age that we just really focus on that during a, a workout, even my instructors, I try to let them know, like when you're doing lessons with young kids, it's about motivating. It's about building confidence, not so much the technical part that they hit the ball off the tee, right? right. Like that, that's really just a result of maybe them not having confidence and not thinking right. So focus your energy on the things that we can make an impact on as the kid goes. So the more we can do that, I think, you know, on, on our end, when we're doing the developing and training, and now the coaches are doing some of that. I think we start building the player. So let's let's build off that. So once we're getting so we uh, and I think this is something we're we're all pretty well in agreement on in terms of the the youngest of of kids, uh, less focus on games, more focus on development, and not just baseball, but just general athleticism. I think we mm-hmm. can we can sum it up with that. Uh, again, I, I've seen 13, 14 year old kids that can't sidestep. Uh, because they, they they don't have that agility to, to, to do it's 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 amazing to me um, but uh, let's get into as the child as the player starts to get a little older so now we're getting into I think you have your next bucket is kind of the 12 to 14 range so this is kind of transitioning to the major league size field first of all so that opens up the door to a lot and I think that's also where now I think I'm, I know that's also where we see the biggest, drop off in terms of player uh, involvement. Uh, once once they get off of the small field and onto the big field, those numbers do drop quite a bit, right? Absolutely. So, you know, when you start looking at that bucket 12 to 14, 
I, I like to even trim it down a little bit more than that, right? We have those 12-year-olds turning 13. That 13-year age group to me is probably the most crucial uh, age group to work on confidence, right? So they, they love baseball at 12. They felt great out in the small field. Now they get to the 13-year field and it's 60-90. They never hit their growth spurt. You know, they're, they're a kid that maybe is average size. And now the throw is 100 feet from, from shortstop. And they're like, oh, my God, I can't throw there. I stink. I shouldn't be playing this game. So that's really, to me, the I almost separate that age group out and say that year has to become so important uh, for us to understand as instructors on the development side and the coaches on the on the field that that is a that crucial is a, year to, to, understand to understand pitch counts, to understand, you know, the psychology of this game. Um, that's really the, the bucket year to me. And I think that once we get them through that 13U and they get up to that 14U, that's typically when we start seeing a split of kids that love the game and want to play, kids that love the game and want to go to a higher level, right? There's there, there's nothing wrong with being the kid that loves the game and wants to play and, and wants to maybe be in, on a club team in college or a D3 school. Um, and there's some D3 schools that play just as good as D1s. But the kid that says, I really love this and this is my passion and I want to now take my game to a, a little higher level, that's where the split kind of starts to happen. But 13 you going back to that, I, I can't stress enough. Like that to me is a year of building confidence, motivation, keeping the kids engaged, practices get tougher, like building all that stuff. The discipline becomes so important, you know, making them understand once we cross the white lines, how we conduct ourselves, our understanding the baseball, you know, rules and understanding how to play the game. And, you know, I, I use this word a lot, you know, getting the, the feel of the game. And understanding like that feel is so important. People always ask me, well, how do you teach feel? You know, a lot of that comes with experience from guys like myself that now start teaching a kid or asking a kid, hey, what did you feel during that at bat? Instead of saying, hey, this is what you did wrong. Hey, what did you feel? And, you know, what have we, you know, then ask the questions to lead him to understand what he did wrong is so much more impactful than saying, hey, you dropped your shoulder, you dropped this, you dropped that. <laughs> Right. right. You don't understand. Like it takes a lot of that confidence building because once a kid can search for the answer, that builds confidence because he figured it out. Someone's so, not telling so, him he failed. He's recognizing, hey, I didn't do this right. And that's why I failed. So I, I so, think it's so important. For those of you that don't know, that's the age group that I coach for. Coach Lugo is the 13 and 14 year olds. But after, right after the game, when I'm talking to the players, the very first question I always ask them is, how did we do today? And to your point, every time they'll come back, they know what they did wrong. They know. It doesn't take me saying, hey, listen, you know, you did this wrong. You did that. They already know. And then so I'm able to build on that by saying, all right, guys, so we know we did wrong. Next practice, we're going to address it and we'll take care of it. But Jimmy, think about back when we started, that was one of the challenges that all our coaches had, right? We went right. to huddles and everybody was just telling the kids what they did wrong. Right. You know, and that was one of the things we recognized and we said, hey, this is where we're going wrong is we're just telling kids what they do wrong instead of asking that question like, hey, how did we play today? What were our opportunities? You know, what did right. the defense look like for us today? Let them tell you. Right. And now, believe it or not, that's a simple way to create your practice plan for your next practice. They told you we didn't hit the cutoffs. We didn't do this. That's our practice focus. Now they see a result from their from what they had opportunities on. Now we're trying to fix it. But what does that do? It builds confidence. So it goes back to making sure like everything we do as a coach, 
even on the training and development side is if we finish a lesson, hey, what were our opportunities today? Was this and this? Okay, next time you come, we're going to put a bigger focus on that, you know? And it's the same thing when you're on field. The more we can get the players to understand and have a feel of the game, the more they will excel in the game as time goes. In, in addition to the, the feel for the game, I know you're real big on the mental aspect of the game, preparing mentally as, as well as physically. Uh, you know, I, I had a situation this year with one of my players who was slumping a little bit in the middle of the season at, at the plate. And I had noticed that he was he went from jumping on the first pitch to taking a strike and he was putting himself in the hole over and over again. And, and the one after I don't know, two games or something, I, I asked him, I said, you know, tell me about your approach at the plate. And he just stared at me like I had 10, like I had 10 heads. Because <laughs> I, I, we as a team did not really give a take sign. So I don't know if it was his dad or if it was, you know, somebody else must have gotten in his ear uh, on that. But that's where I think it's, it's, it is important to a degree to get their input. Uh, I'm, I'm still a little old school in terms of the, the discipline side, something else that you talked about where we can't have, I don't, you know, there's got to be a line. And and I think every year it gets tougher and tougher to find that line between, you know, getting their input when you want it and then kind of sitting there shutting up and listening to you when, when you, when that's what's what the time is. I, I think that's gotten more and more difficult through the years. I think, you know, that's a great point, you know, and I think that that comes really, you know, again, on the field side, a little different. But it's, it's understanding to teach them how to draw those lines. And it, it's hard because you might do it one way, then the other coach is doing it differently. And, and that's where we have to get on the same page as a unit when we're coaching kids on field, because they have to understand the difference between when I'm asking you a question and I'm ready to now talk and you're still talking. Like, like they know, Coach Luga start talking. You better shut it or <laughs> consequences. But um. And and there's things that I do, though, too, as a coach, you know, I create a lot of my, you know, my practices around and my games around certain things. And, you know, we call it cadet root court, which when I was in the mine, it was kangaroo court. So we just have like five bullet points per hitting, pitching, you know, and we have like little little things we do and say, hey, if you I'll give you a small example. You call me Angel instead of Coach Lugo. It's five sprints for the team. If, you know, you know, you strike out on on three pitches looking without swinging the bat, that's three sprints for the team. Like there's certain things that we set as goals for ourselves as a team that we put on there and, and that's how we do it. And now when they do things right, they get to reduce the sprint. So, you know, it makes it, it makes them to focus on those little things that we want. So I think, you know, going back to development, it's about those things that we can start creating as a unit, you know, whether it's working with high school coaches and, and being on the same page, instead of looking at travel ball as a bad thing, Look at that as it could be a joint venture together and we can be helping you develop the players, which is something I'm working towards every year, trying to find ways that I can open those doors with the high school coaches so that when they play for me in the summer, I give the coach a report at the end of the summer. I have no issue doing that. You know, it's so we can work together. If you tell me, hey, you know, on JV, I have a kid that plays for you, but he's he's playing shortstop for us next year. But we have him in left and we need to give him more reps at short. Then I need to know that. You know, so this things like that, that we can fix to help players. But, and that well, does go with development, by the way. So the more we can all work as a unit, it really helps a lot. Well, to, again, to your point, that just happened tonight, right? Where one of the players on my team this past spring played the outfield for his school team. 
And I didn't even know it, you know, so it was brought out by the parent that, hey, he'd been playing. And, you know, now I'm, you know, next practice, believe me, he's going to take reps in the outfield. You know, let's let's help. Let's let's help his, his high school team, you know, get him where they have him playing. You know, we'll still give him the reps where he where he's playing for us. But again, to your point, yeah, we can help. Yeah, and I, I, I think there's a thing that's and this is probably since day one with uh, as far as once travel really became proficient. We're not talking about when Andrew you talked to yourself about playing back in the day. There was probably one travel team back then. I know in, in this in this area, we had uh, Moose team, which was uh, the best of the best of the 12 year olds. And all right. the you know, the shortstop from every all star team got together and played in like one tournament or something. So I'm talking about more right. of maybe 10 years ago when travel really started to get popular. There, there was always an assumed adversarial relationship with training facilities. And it's something I just never understood. Why? Why would we go into like, you know, talking to them or meeting with them. This is when I, I was on the board of directors of the local league and they're like, oh, this this facility and, and whether it was yours or one of the other facilities that are not no longer around, uh, you know, they're offering to do like a, a coach the coaches clinic and we'd get two people to go or something like that. Or even on, on the board of directors, they would be like, oh, we don't want them coming in here and stealing our players. I'm like, do you right. understand what's good for them is good for us and what's good for us is good for them? I, I I just never understood, but you must have seen a ton of examples I, I, of that. I, I could I could understand that because there is unfortunately there is travel organizations that don't believe in local baseball. And I do. I'm a big community baseball guy. All my kids know prior to the age of 12, like you need to play little league. Um, we come secondary to that until our time of season comes, which for me, the spring is all little league. We shut down for that all-star period so they can do that. And then we pick up again because that's the only time. And I explained this to a few parents years ago. It's the only time your kid may be the best player on the field. <laughs> Might be the only time. And yep. there's so much that can be learned. I had a parent ask me once, well, why would I have him, you know, play with his local Little League? He's so much better than everybody. I said, oh, really? Your son is, is too good to teach others how to get better. He's too It's not a good opportunity for him to be a leader. So one of the biggest lessons I learned, it was at the age of 12, Coach Dexter from PAL, he said to me, you're only as good as the players around you. And that always stuck in my head. My job, my not my job, my philosophy in the game changed at 12 when he said that to me. I became more vocal. I was a pretty quiet kid up to that age. All of a sudden, like with the third base, like nothing gets between us. And what turned into like, it changed my mindset because he triggered that in me. I didn't have that at the time. And once he said that to me, I was like, wow, well, if I want to be really good, I better start talking. So I can't stress enough to parents that have players that are on our travel teams that are, you know, good players, but they're probably the best in their town. <laughs> well, go learn what it's like to be the best guy on the field, because that may never happen again. <laughs> you know, like, think yeah. about it. Even, I mean, you're talking about the one percenters, even on a field of Right now, if you look at the Yankees, there's one or two main guys. Everyone else is good, but they're not those main guys. So learn what that feels like because it's never, it might never happen again. You know, so I was really big on that. I think it's still something I try to push. Um, you know, it, it's a little harder at the age of 13 to say, hey, go play town ball. Because, again, if they're that player that wants to play at a higher level, they're going to need to start getting out a little bit. Uh, but I also think there's a big opportunity for for Little League and, and you know, for them to have a summer league that the kids continue to play. So they don't feel they have to go play travel, you know, half the team, more than half the teams out there now that say tra that are travel 
all they're doing is taking kids that really would be playing little league and putting them in, in, in a, in a local league up here that has an A, B, C, D league. And that's what they're doing. So little leagues have an opportunity to, to, to find a way to make that happen. When I played PAL, we played from, you know, April to August. We took a, they had the all-stars all selected. We go play all-stars. And when we finished early, we came back and joined our friends again and kept playing. Um, and that would eliminate families feeling they have to go play travel ball. I mean, there's a lot of families that I think are doing it because there's just not another alternative. Um, but isn't, isn't another problem with, with Little League that parents feel that when, when, when their child is playing in Little League, that they're not getting the proper instruction, that they're not learning, they're not developing, which is something that, and Angel, you even notice about me that I believe that, you know, Little League coaches should be trained even if it's the, the very basic stuff, just to be able to bring these kids to keep them moving up that next level ladder. I think their challenges is back to their volunteers. You know, where do they have the time to do it? And look, I get all that. I think, again, local little leagues challenge, should challenge themselves to figure that out. And that's why they don't have summer. Well, like how many guys are going to volunteer to coach in the summer? <laughs> right. Like, you know, you got to give up your summer. But we're doing something this year to, to try. We're doing a development league from Monday to Thursday, so families have their weekends off. We're running it this year with, in conjunction with Fisco Little League to try to see how that works, see if we can grow you know, that, that into a, a not just a development league, but a league that can exi- exist in the summer. And that's kind of the vision behind the Hudson Valley RBI League a while when I first started trying to get that up and going, which has turned into more recreation. What I mean by that, we do a lot more camps. But at the end of the day, we want to find ways to keep kids on the field. And the only way they'll improve is if we practice with them and then we play a game. It doesn't have to be five practices a week. It could be one practice and then play a game on Wednesday and then you're off to the shore on on the weekend. That's great. At least we keep the kids on the field a little longer and put ourselves in position that maybe that kid as he starts to grow and mature now wants to find to play a travel ball and doesn't walk away from the game. And you're not burning anyone out. Right. You know. Right. That's that's what I was going to say. For those kids that are maybe not at the elite level, you're still what we talked about before, building that love of the game where you don't have to be. And it's it's one of the issues that I, I've had with other parents where they have pulled their kid out of Little League Ball and just played travel. I'm like, okay, your kid's yeah. playing three innings a game in right field. If he yeah. stayed in Little League, he might be a starting shortstop. He might be exactly. the second best pitcher on his team. Yep. You know, uh, things like that. So, yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's fantastic. And, it sounds like a great this, idea. This is your first the parents, year. The par- Yeah, this is our first year. I think the parents are missing the fact that this game is one of the hardest games of any sport. Right. I mean, that's not me making it up. That's what everybody says. If you don't build confidence. So when you take little Johnny and you put him on a travel team and now he's batting a buck 50 for the summer. Well, you're just crushing the kid. Yeah, he might have played. He might have got out there and played, but he's hitting a buck fifty. Like the confidence level just keeps sinking compared to, hey, I'm playing rec ball and I might be hitting three fifty and I'm having fun and I'm enjoying it. Now little Johnny hits the growth spurt or gets a little stronger, and now he starts getting ready for that more competitive stage. And I think we missed that. A lot of families are caught up on the wrong concept, and I think that's where USA Baseball is doing a great job. They're educating. They have a great segment for for parents to uh, kind of take a little uh class which is phenomenal i took the class myself um so there is that stage you know that that's missing that i think that they need to understand like you're just 
You're hurting the player instead of helping them. But now, Definitely. like something, something that you just said too, just triggered something. A kid goes and he's playing for his town little league team, and like you said, he's batting three fifty in the little league team. Now people are going to say, "Well, wait a minute, that kid shouldn't be here. He should be playing travel ball." So now he leaves the little league and he goes to travel ball, and we have that same cycle happening again. You know, again, it's something that I've talked about before about who is actually assessing the player, which is again a difficult thing to do. Um, he may be a 350 hitter amongst, you know, little league players, but the minute you put him on a travel team, like you said, he's batting a buck 50. So it's it's kind of a vicious cycle. And I could see how it's a very complex problem that I don't see how you solve. Until little league and or Cal Ripken figure out how to keep that and make that bigger and not get so caught up on the fact that I want to go play in Westchester for a Saturday instead of finding a way to play in your local community. I think those things will be a little more difficult, but then that player development side of what I was trying to get to is there's that confidence building that needs to happen for players. And, and once right. that, once we can build that, it, it gets easier for us once they hit the age of 14, whereas where I feel, you know, where I then start looking at the players in those two different buckets and you kind of get the sense with USA, we start looking at it at that point also, because, that's typically where they change, right? There's the player that loves the game, you know, enjoys playing the game, likes the game a lot. They're that 14 year player coming up. Then there's a the 14 year player that says, I want to be an MLB player. That's just his goal. Let's say that kid's going to be a little more serious. And the difference that changes at that age when it comes to development is the amount of time that a kid is willing to sacrifice to go train and develop. So you have two 14 year old players Little Johnny here, you got, you know, Tom on this side. Tom says, I'm willing to give up all my video games. I want to do everything I can to get better. This kid wants, you know, little Johnny says, I still want to play video games, but I love playing baseball. That's okay. Let, let little Johnny continue to play baseball. This kid who wants more out of it will take a different path and put more time into his development. And I think parents need to have those conversations, you know, with their players is how much are you willing to, sacrifice to play this game at the highest level, you know, or the level that you want to play at. I mean, we all dream of being MLB players, right? So I always use that as a, but we all know just playing as high as I can, you know, and I've had several conversations with families at times and players individually um, where, you know, the mom and dad come in and talk to me about, Hey, my little Johnny loves the game and, you know, he wants to do this. And I know he's a kid that, I can tell he's a kid that doesn't put time in. And I asked the question, well, how much time does he spend on baseball? Or how much time does he spend on his video games? And sure enough, well, he plays video games all night and he doesn't really practice much. Well, that's the difference. The kid that starts to give up that video game and starts to raise this side is the kid that's a little more serious. And, And I think families have to have that conversation and recognize that there's nothing wrong with a kid that wants a different balance. That's okay. As long as they still love the game and want to go play, you know, maybe they don't have to be on a travel team that's going, you know, away every weekend. They just play on a more local travel team. And I think there's a place for them to keep going because that kid could change by the age of 15 to be, hey, I really love this game. I got to do. And now he tries to fall into the other bucket, you know. But um, and the good thing is when you're 14, 15, there's still time. You know, everyone hits different growth spurts, all that stuff. That's that's actually what I was just going to talk about when we talk about those age ranges. We kind of think of it of 12, 13 with the growth spurts, but there's plenty of kids that don't hit it until 14, 15. And at that point, now that 90 foot base doesn't seem, 
you know, it's not a mile away anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, they can they can make it there. Hopefully, if we did our jobs right in the beginning part of their quote unquote career, then maybe they are still interested. And now, yeah. like you said, they they can turn the corner on that and and keep playing. But getting them in the position, the, the term you used, I, I, I like it because the first thing that came to mind is, is just picking their path, helping them pick their path for that period. I think that's what's really important because when we start doing the round, you know, square peg in the round hole and a kid says, yeah, I want to play travel, but it's only because his friends are playing travel, but he's not, he's not willing to do the extra work that does then. Yeah. You can play travel, but you know, what are we really, what are we really accomplishing uh, right. at that point? So Andrew, you, you actually, you actually have a good example that you could tell everybody about. Let's talk a little bit about Lenny Torres because here is a kid that did all of the right things, had that drive, and nobody knows better than you what he actually had to do. Yeah, I mean, it's a great story. I mean, I, I saw Lenny at the age of 13, turning 14. He came into the facility for a lesson, recommended from a fellow student of mine. Um, you know, he came into the facility for his first pitching lesson. I, I mean, I just saw something special in his arm. I was like, well, this is a kid I know can do something bigger. But I think the, the real story in that was once we recognized that he had some talent and really loved the game because I had a conversation with this kid and he was like, yeah, I love baseball. You know, it was how the family trusted a process or a vision of how we're going to get him to hit his goals. Um, and it was really Lenny Jr., obviously, who guided us with that, right? Because it was always asking him, how far do you want to go? What do you want? It wasn't about what Coach Lugo saw or what his dad and mom thought he can do. It was really when we had those conversations and we built a great relationship over the years, it was about what does Junior want? You know, and Junior every year, you know, wanted to get better and kept saying, I want to do this. And I want, all right, this is how we got to train. So we were able to kind of take all these beliefs I've had for years and he was my guy that I was going to say, this is the kid that I can show if we stick to a process, a program, and, and I get the kid to want to commit to it. Because it was never, I want you to come in for something. No, it was Lenny, if you need me, I'm here for you. If you want to come in and work out extra, if you want to do this extra, I'm here. And I have to say, like, the kid initiated all that. And my job was to mentor him get him to think at a higher level. Um, you know, I have a simple philosophy when I start working with certain kids that I see that in is I train them two levels up and I make them act two levels up. So what I mean by that, if you're a ninth grader, you should be working out like an 11th grader and thinking like an 11th grader and acting like an 11th grader. If you're a sophomore, you should be a senior already. If you can get a child, a player to start thinking like that, they raise their level. And obviously, what does a coach see when he comes to the field? He sees a kid that's a sophomore playing like a senior, knows the game, knows where to be, has all the mechanics of it. Like when you get them to see that early, then obviously that opens those doors for all those bigger schools. And and the mental side of it is so crucial. Like with Lenny, we had great conversations when he did things that he shouldn't do. Um, I, I could give you examples of, you know, he, he would give my at the time I didn't coach the, the team. He would give my coaches a hard time. And I always told him, if he gives you a hard time, he has to answer to me. He, There was a great example. One of my coaches was a rookie coach. And he gave him a hard time. He said, sit there till Coach Lugo gets here. I didn't get to, I didn't get there till the end of practice. So he had to sit there for two and a half hours waiting for me to come so that I can have a conversation with him on how he should be behaving when it's another coach that's here and the whole nine. And then I said, you just wasted three hours of your day that could have been spent on training. 
because you did not take the right approach on how to handle something. So, you know, but we had that bond that when we talked, he respected it and then he adjusted and just kept changing those things. Um, so really with his training, it was, we laid out a plan every year. It was, Hey, how much weight are we putting on this year? You know, how much, how many days a week are we working out? How much time are you spending on your studies? Like making sure everything was in line for him. Um, you know, I, I give the Taurus family a ton of credit for trusting someone. Cause I know it's hard for any parent to say, I'm going to trust this guy to help me with my son. Um, cause they got phone calls all the time from all the elite travel teams and everybody was calling for Lenny, um, over the years. And they always said, Nope, we will coach Lugo, whatever he tells us we can do, we'll do. Um, so they believed in the process. They believed that they didn't need to go to Georgia. You know, I didn't send Lenny to any of those big events until we said, okay, now we want to go. And, you know, again, obviously he would get invited to everything and, and we just chose the ones we wanted to go to, but it was about guiding a player. It was about mentoring him teaching him to think two levels up so that he was conducting himself different, you know, from, from how he walked off the bus for, from a high school game, how he conducted himself on the field, like all those things were discussions and prepping him for his goal. You know, his goal was, you know, I won, you know, one of some of the goals we had or that he had, I should say, were I want to make a USA national team. So we worked really hard to get him there. He fell a little short. He was like uh, on the 40 man roster and then just missed it. And that, that fired him up even more. You know, but at a very young age, I was fortunate enough that, you know, we had a conversation. I think it was his sophomore year. And, and Lenny, look, you know, I asked him, you know, what, what's your goal in this game? And he just flat out said, I want to be an MLB pitcher. He goes, I want to play in the MLB, you know. And um, I said, well, I'm here to help you. Are you willing to put the work in? And we kind of just hit it off from there. And he knew that I was just trying to guide him to his goals. If he missed if he missed something, it was like, hey, that was your time that you, you wasted, not mine. You know, but I would tell you, he didn't miss much, man. We started – uh. He, he was always on it. I'll tell you, I give him a lot of credit. He really stood locked in those years. He, um, even on Thanksgiving one year, I think it was, I think it might've been, he was 15 year when we started this. He's like, coach, well, Thursday is our workout day. Like, are we still are working we out? Do? I'm like, Hey, we can work out, but we got to do it at six in the morning. He was like, all right, we'll be there. So we started our Turkey grind day every Thanksgiving. We're at the facility at six in the morning. Thanks to Lenny Torres working out, you know, getting his workout in before we go, you know, back and eat. And, uh, and we kept that tradition now. We have it going on every year since. But um, but that's the kind of kid he was. So obviously with my expertise and my experience and my connections, I was able to give him the guidance, but it was all on the player. And you know, I say that to every player that comes through, you know, that talks to me about their goals. I always tell them it's gonna be on you. Like I can guide you, I can help you. Um, I can tell you what scouts are looking for, I can tell you what college coaches are looking for, but it's all gonna be on how you commit yourself to that goal. And it's the biggest sacrifice. And that's one thing that most people don't recognize, you know, even to be a D one player, like there's a lot of sacrifice that you have to put in to be that level. Um, that's why only what 7% of ba baseball players end up playing D one. Think about it. 7% players get to play D one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's something. Uh, so on, on that note, I, a couple of things I, I wanted to touch on with that. Uh, one, just let's give a, a little bit more of a background for anybody that's not familiar with Lenny Torres. Uh, as a 17-year-old, he was drafted out of high school uh, in the first round by the Cleveland Indians, and he's been in their farm system since then. He's still progressing along uh, to, to some different levels. So he's kind of uh, – there's there's been a couple of big players from our area, but he's obviously the most recent one that's that's ha had some success. So that's uh, very uh, – yeah, it's just such a, a testament to himself, but also you, you as as the main trainer and the facility. 
So there are a lot of people out there, Angel, that, that you know, have, um, you know, young players that they have these same aspirations of going and playing professionally. Just so they get an idea of what it's like, give them a little snapshot of like what a day in Lenny's life was when he was training to, you know, before the draft. So this, yep. So this is a high school player that by the age of 15, when he made that commitment that he wants to be that level, was in the gym in the morning at 6 a.m. Uh, right up to when he had to get to school. Um, he would then be at the facility later on to do some stuff at the facility. Uh, so that was a, a typical Monday. So you figure he was probably spending about three to four hours just on his development. Then Tuesdays, uh, we had our, our session, which was about two hours long um, with me. Um, he did that twice a week. So you figure he was taking about 20 to 24 hours a week just for the game of baseball, just to be able to develop. On top of that, maintain great grades, you know, keep his academics going, find a way to socialize a little, which he was very good at just doing just enough. He was committed to getting to bed on time. You know, like by the time he was a junior, he was he was in bed by 10 o'clock. And, you know, his parents were always the ones that tell me. And I was like, that's great. He changed his eating habits like he put all this. And that's all stuff that you have to take time to change and, and put into your day. Um, it's not just the baseball side. You know, it's not just the time you spend training. It really becomes a time overall that you're spending to, to make the change, um, you know, most kids at 15 are not going to go to bed by 10 because they got to get up at six. They're playing video games to midnight. So those are sacrifices that come with, with the, with the discipline and, and a goal setting for yourself. So I would say, you know, if a kid really wants it, you know, at the age of 15 is a good year to start, you know, 14 is still that building year, but by 15 is when they have to start really putting the, the hours in, you know, he would probably, you know, like I said, 24 hours a week, Add in your school time to that. You can see how many hours he's really, it's like a job, you know, but he loved it. You know, we kept it fun. We kept it loose and we had, we kept hitting goals. And that was really the, the, the bottom line with Lenny. We would hit goals. Like we would set a goal and go there. You know, we'd come out of a season, I don't know, off season say, Hey, this year we want to be 92, 93. And Hey, we were 95, you know, like those are the kind of things that we were able to do. You know, we left the, the senior year wanting to hit a hundred and we hit 99 once and a few 98s he hit. You know, we were pumped up about that. But, um, you know, again, he did a lot of great things because he was committed to it. So the players that are looking to do the same, it's about the commitment level and the sacrifices you're willing to put in. Um, and so, that goes not just for a guy that wants to get drafted out of high school. That goes for a kid that wants to play D1. It, it comes with training hours. You know, you got to be willing to put in the training hours. So basically, when you have a player, and this is what I take from what I saw happen with Lenny, is it – don't get me wrong. You have to have the ability. You have to have the talent. It has to be there. That's no question about that. But the difference is the mental side of the game or the mental approach that a player takes. Okay. Because again, you could be the best player in the world. If you don't have that drive, like a Lenny Torres has. Yeah. I mean, you're going to be a good baseball player, but it's probably going to fall off somewhere if you don't have the right mindset. Absolutely. I think, you know, as you're mentoring a kid that has those aspirations, it's it's not only the, like I said, all the, all the training on the baseball side is starting to develop the mindset of an elite athlete, the understanding of what failing is at a higher level compared to, okay, I, I failed at a travel game compared to I'm now on PG giving up a home run on my first outing. 
and he took that like it was nothing. He just got the ball back and kept doing his work. That t- and those are all the maturities that they saw and why he became a first-round pick, by the way, because he really came out. You know, we kind of – with Lenny, like we we kept developing, developing, developing. It wasn't until his junior year that we kind of said, okay, now let's open the doors, and we had scouts come down to watch him. And, you know, um, and that was all from a camp I had at the facility. You know, there was two Yankee scouts there, a Yankee scout and a White Sox scout. We were doing something for uh, Baseball Miracles. I tell the Yankees got to have a kid with an incredible arm. She comes back that spring to watch him. And then she, you know, it starts to spread. So we, re- I, re- you know, from that end of it, that's where I kind of helped the most was I kind of tabled it all for the right time to show him. And man, did he shine when he did. Like he was all for it. And I think, you know, the mental part of it was a big part of that training. Like, you know, people don't realize how much time goes into that when you're working with players. It's, getting them to understand the mindset of, of failing and how to overcome it and then how to work harder because you will have a higher goal. Um, so definitely the mental part of it. And I think for a 17 year old, that's what really helped them was that they saw more maturity in them as a 17 year old. So that's, that's really another key point that when we speak about development, again, most people will probably look at development and they're looking at it. You know, how does he feel the ground ball? How does he hit? you know, all of the rudimentary things with baseball, but most people don't realize that a huge part of developing a baseball player is developing the mental side. And like you said, teaching players how to deal with adversity, how to, you know, how to come back and fight after you just gave up that three run homer. And that's a huge part of a player's development. Yep. Yeah. Mental exercises, you know, small ones, you know, things that I learned from us. Actually, I was fortunate enough that I had a scout that took a liking to me at a young age and he was giving me some of that was simple things of visualizing before you go to bed, failing and succeeding, not just always doing the succeeding part. Like, so all those things that, you know, you hear today that that's out there for some of the old timers, like, well, you really do that? Like, yeah, like that's a big part of, of trying to play at the highest level. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, there's, you know, developing a player from a mental side, there's the commitment to nutrition. There's a commitment to mobility and making sure they understand they have to be mobile. Like there's a lot of check marks that you got to go over with players to make them understand the commitment level it takes. Some simple things of get up in the morning and do 10 minutes of core. Like if you really want to play this game, 10 minutes in the morning before you go anywhere, do your core exercises. You know, um, those are all things that kind of kind of get the players to understand the level they want to be at. And, you know, there's good level baseball all over D three, great level. There's NIA schools. There's so many places they can go play. And I always tell the player, look, the difference in where you want to play is the amount of time you want to put in. <laughs> Cause if yeah. you go play for D one and they're, and you're up at six in the morning, hitting the weight room, going to class, coming back for individuals, then team practice. And on top of that, you got to keep your GPA up. You got to be ready for that. And it's got to start like right around that sophomore year, understanding that level. So yeah, so this this becomes a job essentially uh, as, as you know as the younger ages a part time job, and then as you get into the older ages in your junior senior year uh, of high school, even certainly once you get to college, it's it's a job. It's a job in 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 coalition with going to school and getting your grades and all that. But you have to be ready for that kind of uh, you have to be ready for that kind of commitment. So let's talk a little bit about about goal setting. You touched on it there a couple of times. Uh, where you had as a as a senior, the goal for Lenny was getting up to 100. But obviously, all different kids at different positions are going to have different things. So, so let's talk a little bit about what's important there. 
So, yeah, I think, you know, the first place I like to start with that is really this is for the parents have to step back and understand that it's not their goals. It has to be the player's goals. And having those sit-down conversations with your player to say, hey, what are your goals in the game of baseball? You know, what, what's, where do you see yourself? Like, do you see yourself wanting to play at a D1 level, D2 level? And, I, you know, those conversations at 13 maybe don't mean as much, but if you start them early, now by 14 you're having it again. Like, it's not something that's going to happen once and then the conversation goes away. It's something that as a kid progresses, you continue to have that, ask that question. It helps the player understand that it's not about the parents, it's about him. And I think the quicker the player recognizes it's about his goals, the quicker we can get to goal setting. Because to set goals for a kid because the parents want it, we're not going to get anywhere. And that's usually when I have the conversation with the players. It's typically not me with their parent. That's usually one conversation. Then I usually pull the players in and say, okay, what's your goals? Like, where do you see yourself in this game? How much, you know, we start really digging in a little bit to find out what is it they want to do in the game. And then I get them to understand, okay, so when we start that goal setting, now I'm holding you accountable to it. So if you say you're going to be at the facility, you know, eight hours a week and I only see you two days, like I'm going to ask you a question, well, hey, what happened? And they start recognizing it. But what I have found in the years of doing this with some of my key, you know, my players that really aspire to be at the highest level. Um, and again, that's usually not a big percentage, by the way. We have a lot of kids playing, but not all of them aspire to be that D1 player and MLB player. They all love the game. They want to be around it. But I, what I have found is that once I get them to set the goals, they are disciplined to make it happen. They stay locked into it. I don't have to babysit them. I don't have to ask them those questions. I'm getting the text, hey, coach, I have a, a big test tomorrow. I can't make it in today, but I'll make it up on Saturday. Like then they're guiding their path instead of us dragging them through the path. So goal setting to me is going to be one of the biggest things that we can help our players with. We use metrics a lot, you know, not launch angles or any of that stuff, more like the things that are achievable, like what's your 60-yard dash, you know, how hard are you throwing across the diamond? You know, how fast you get from home to first. The things that relate to the game of baseball, in a sense, that will help them kind of along the lines to be open those eyes of a, a high-level player uh, for a coach to look at them. You know, obviously, we look at hitting. We'll look at bad exit speed and all that. But I'm not going to sit there and tell them, we have to have a launch angle to hit home runs. You know, it's not about that. It's about how many times could you batter on the ball. Um, you know, NCA has numbers out there. They'll tell you an average D1 shortstop and a Division One runs a 6'6", six, six, hits 550 in high school. Like, it, they tell you that. It's not us making the metrics up. So when a kid says that to me, I'm like, okay, here's your metrics. This is the goal. <laughs> this is what you have to hit to play at those levels. And then the question is, what are you going to do to get there, right? So, But I think the more we share that with players, the more they see it, they understand their bucket then. And they love the game, so they're going to keep playing. It's not going to stop them. But if they see their metrics are in a D2, then they know, wait, that's where I got to focus. That's where I'm going to succeed. You know, to go sit on the bench in the D1, well, what am I doing? You know, had that conversation with one of my, one of my pitches. I had a kid that I, I for sure thought he was a D1 pitcher, um, a little tough because of COVID. But at the end of the day, when we talked, I said, well, you know, if you go to a D2 school, you're, you're a starter right out of the gate. Like, you're going to be on the mound. Um, and that made him make that choice of, hey, I'm going to go that route because I want to play. So every player will will kind of, once they set their goals, they they will they will stick to it. And if not, then they'll learn early, like, hey, maybe this is not what I want to be doing, you know. Um, but that's, that hasn't been the case yet for the kids that come to me and say, I want to set goals, coach. Um, I've done it with college kids that leave the facility. We, we set up a calendar and we, you know, 
get things into the calendar so I could see that they're doing their work. And, you know, there's, there's baseball, you know, has to be something you really love to do because you got to learn to fail, but you got, there's a lot of time committed to trying to get better. Um, so I, I definitely feel that, you know, goal setting becomes huge and, and getting the metrics to them and showing them where they stand, where they stand is, is really important. We've moved down that road. Everything we do now is pretty much we, we do the metrics. Every player has that in their dashboard. As soon as they log in, they can see what their 60 time is, their 30, their 10. Like, so we want them to be aware of those numbers um, so that they can work towards something. But I think goal setting is probably the most important thing you need to do by the age of 14 with that player that truly wants to continue to grow. Just to elaborate a little bit on, on, on the goal setting. So basically what you're saying is that what we what we need to focus on, and you've you've heard me talk to my players about this, is that we need to be focused on the process-based goals. Okay. So when we're talking about process-based goals, we're talking about, like you said, how to get that 60 time down to six six. What are you doing to achieve that process goal so that you can ultimately achieve your outcome goal of maybe being a D1 player, a D2 player? And it's got to be done in baby steps. Because if you just come out of the out of the gate and you say, well, I just want to be a D1 player. Well, that's a goal. Yes, it is. But how are we achieving that goal? Our goals are different than what you're working with with your players. You know, we may be setting a goal to make sure that we get our front foot down early or, we, you know, a goal of, you know, make sure that we're staying on our backside and we're not uh, getting out in front of the pitch. But uh, nevertheless, players have to set goals to get to where they want to be. It's like uh, ladders that you're climbing. But, you know, again, I just had a conversation with Lenny, you know, he just started throwing again a, a few weeks ago, I say about a month ago, you know, his first live game since he had surgery. And, you know, we just had a conversation about, hey, set one or two goals every game. That's your focus right now. Just if you accomplish that, don't worry about the result yet. Like just hit your goals for the day. Um, and it becomes so important when you start looking at the game in that fashion. And, you know, when we had Hector with us, who's a Pirates uh, sports psychologist, you know, he narrowed it down for an 11U team. Let's have one goal at practice. Let's have one goal in the game and, and just learn to funnel into those one or two goals. And if each player has one or two goals they're working on, then at least it's a goal that we're trying to set. And, and when you have those conversations after an outing, it's, hey, how did you do with your goals? Instead of what the result was, it's how did you do with your goals? How many first pitch strikes did you have? How many, you know, old two counts did you blow? Like anything like that is really what is – kind of controllable, right? The outcome of a game could be one bad error and you lost the game three nothing or whatever. So we can't worry about those things if we focus on development and what are we learning each time we go out there. It's so important. You know, I had a few kids in today for hitting. We talked about, hey, what was, what did the weekend look like for you, on, you know, at your at-bats? So what's your goal today when you're here at practice? Like, are you just going to take swings or is there something you learned from the weekend that you need to improve on today? And that's what our in-season program is about. You know, just get those one or two things fixed. All right. Well, that was our discussion with Angel Lugo, the owner of uh, Cadets Player Academy in Fishkill, New York. If you are a team looking for a facility to uh, practice at, if you are a player or a parent with a player that is looking to get your kid up to that next level, it's a great idea to reach out to them, set up some time to come in and talk to them. They also have their own fleet of travel teams that are, I'm sure at this point established, but you can get in on board with the individual training or some of the group trainings. Uh, you've got the uh, promotion you're doing with 
the Fishkill Little League that's coming up with the uh, the youngest players on on focusing on young player development. I think that's fantastic. Uh, I really uh, think we covered a lot of good stuff today, Angel. I want to thank you for joining us, coming aboard. Thanks for having me, guys. I look forward to coming back on if you need anything else. I feel like during this conversation, we maybe just scratched the surface of a lot of stuff. So, I mean, I know that, you know, this is going to be an ongoing conversation that we're going to have from time to time. I think it'll be beneficial to everybody to hear what Angel has to say, because, you know, like uh, people who have listened before, I've mentioned Angel's name on the podcast before, and I'm not uh, just saying this because he's here, but he's been very interested. What's that? And my boss. Yeah, well, (laughs) (laughs) but you want to know something? Uh, Yes, he's my boss, but I look at him more as a friend and a mentor than I do as a boss. But he's taught me so much because, like I had said earlier, that I look at myself as a field coach that is kind of like a utility player. If I don't know something, I have somebody and and a lot of people don't have this. I have somebody I can go to. Like I, I came to you recently about the slide step because I had never taught it. I didn't know how. So I have somebody I can go to and I could say, listen, you know, I need help with this. So anyway, the point is there's so much more that we can get from him. I think that uh, we'll be talking again soon. Sounds good. So there you have it. There's the interview with Angel Lugo. So what do you think, Dave? I think it was great. Uh, I think that we went into some different directions in much deeper detail than what you and I normally get into with those things. So it was a nice departure from our one of our normal regular conversations. Right. And I I agree. And like I had said, I also believe that he's going to be a source that we're going to go to every once in a while, because there's just, we just really just scratched the surface. There's really so much more that he has to offer that would really benefit our listeners that are, that are involved in youth baseball. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll definitely get him back on, uh, on the line down in a, a future episode. And in the meantime, uh, we want to thank again, thank everybody for listening to us. But uh, one thing I wanted to mention, I did see that uh, you had another uh, another article published in the uh, May June Inside Pitch magazine. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it's a little bit of a ongoing thing. I started writing for the magazine, geez, I don't know, maybe about two years ago, had several articles published. And this one was a good one. Basically, again, goes back to what we were talking about. It's coaching for the next level. It's how to how to get players ready to make that next step from, say, town ball to high school ball to college ball and beyond. And every there are steps within there's steps within rec ball. There's steps within high school, freshman, JV, varsity. Um, so, yeah, that's what the article is about. You know, if anybody's interested in reading it, it's uh, it's it's part of the American Baseball Coaches Association website where you can find their Inside Pitch magazine and the article is there. Yeah, it's also and it is actually still put out in, in print. Um, so if you can uh, you can find it at uh, newsstands or uh, your 7-Elevens or what have you. So uh, Inside Pitch magazine, that's that's great. That's a great honor. Uh for you to be able to do that i I think that's fantastic and again congratulations thank you all right so that'll wrap it up for this week folks want to thank everybody again for staying with us and listening and you can reach us on twitter at the ctb show uh we'd love to hear from everybody and uh jimmy puts out a bunch of good things on there so check us out on there you can follow us review on your apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts review rate give us five stars we really appreciate it 
And uh, always remember, it's only two things in this world that we can control at all times. That's our effort and our attitude. Give me 100% effort, keep a positive mental attitude, PMA, and good things will follow. Coach, final words? I just want to thank everybody once again for listening. And I'll leave you with, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you.